It's good to be here this evening, and um, we just, I thought, finished a series of messages on hearing God. That's the title of the series. If I'm not mistaken, we, uh, I ended that with eight or nine messages on the subject, and so uh, when I decided that uh, it'd be wise for me to be here and give Brother Kenneth a break, and uh, I... I, I I thought, you know, I, one, there was one message that seems to get left out, and it ties in with the last message we brought, and so I want you to turn tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 3. If that sounds familiar, it's because we've already looked at this chapter, at least a part of it, and the title of the message tonight is Listening to God. Listening to God. To God, there's so many times we hear the words that are spoken, but we don't always really listen, and that is to tune in with the intent to obey God. I love the story of, of Samuel. Uh, you know, in, in this wicked world that we live in, great people don't always get the recognition they deserve. And I think the prophet Samuel is a good example of that, of all of the great people in the Bible, he probably gets less attention than any of the others. And make no mistake about it, at least in my estimation, he's one of the greatest men that the world has ever seen. And, and that didn't happen by accident. There are several things that contributed uh, to his greatness. And it's always that way, regardless of who the person is, what generation he comes from or whatever, there are certain factors that enable a person to become greatness in the truest sense of that word. And uh, on top of the list, as we've already looked at, is that he had a godly mother. You know, that seems like such a simple statement. Uh, he had a godly mother. And, and I really believe with all of my heart that we... Uh, we don't let that impact us as it should. If you have a godly mother, let me tell you, you have something more precious than silver and gold. And uh, it's it just, uh, wow, you just couldn't ask for more than to have a godly mother. And he did. And so, boy, that, that meant the world to him. And it ought to mean the world to each and every person who does. It ought to be a challenge to every mother you know, the world wants to, wants to do away with this thought of women being housewives. Like, they got the impression that if you're just a housewife, you're, you're just a slave, you're a nobody. And I don't know of anyone more important than housewives. Godly, godly housewives. And he had a godly mother. But he also received spiritual training at an early age. Hannah kept him until, until he was weaned, and so he's probably between two and three, according to the way they did things back then. And at that time, she took him to, to Eli, the priest, in the house of God, and left him there. That's the promise she made to God. She said, you give me a child, give me a son, I'll give him right back to you. That'd be hard, wouldn't it, ladies? Lord, give me a child, and I'll, 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 just, I'll take him down there to Lakeway Baptist Church and just leave him there. Well, 
bit of difference here. We don't have any prophets here today. We don't have any priests here today except as the children of God. We're all priests in one sense. So the godly mother, spiritual training at an early age, and that's key. The Catholics used to brag about the fact they made the statement, and I can't remember whether it was six or seven, said, you give us a child of the age six or seven, and you'll never change them. There's a lot of truth in that. I can remember sitting with a dear friend of mine who was, uh, who was uh, a co-worker, civil engineer, and we'd be out of town, and I, I would at night there in the motel, I would witness to him, and I'd take the Bible and read what the Bible says about sin and salvation and so forth, and I'd say, uh, is that what the Bible says? Yeah. He said, yeah, it is. It's right there. By the way, I could have used their Catholic version of the Bible and done the same thing. I'm not promoting that, by the way, but it is correct in some spots. They just ignore that. And, uh, and I said, is that what you believe? No. I said, well, if that's what the Bible says and that's not what you believe, why don't you change what you believe to what the Bible says? And his answer was, it's against our religion to change our religion. That's about as nonsensical as anything could ever get. But believe me, there, there are those that from childhood had had that pounded in their mind over and over again. And so when I talk about spiritual training at an early age, we can't overemphasize the importance of that. We, why we have children's church and we worship, that's why we... Uh, uh, have Sunday school and uh, teach those children get the truth down on their level and it's so very important thirdly he had a mentor and that was Eli the priest by the way he was, he was the, the teacher probably most of you can look back on your life your spiritual life and think of some person a man or a woman, someone that ministered to you just, well, just by loving you and being there for you in your time of need, but, but even without any intent coaching you on how life ought to be lived. I'll bet you're thinking of somebody right now, somebody that contributed to make you the person you are today. A mentor is so very important, and we ought to be mentors to these these young people here, they ought to be able to look and say, wow, she taught my Sunday school, or he taught my Awana class, and, and boy, they were such an influence on my life. But also, he had a unique perspective on this. As I said, he's raised in the house of God. You know, the other kids in town couldn't say that, you know. Hey, Sam, where do you live? Oh, I live with Eli the priest down there at the tabernacle. You see, he, he sees things here. He has the privilege of seeing things from a perspective that other kids never get. Now, I don't know what kind of an advantage that you might have over others, but believe me that even if it's a mom and dad who cares enough about you to make sure you're in church every Sunday, you've got something most kids don't. How sad it is to think about the majority of these children out here that have parents that, that put no emphasis on spiritual things whatsoever. 
Well, the list goes on and on. We're talking about the things that contributed to his greatness, and, and there's something else that gets overlooked, and that is he had the experience of observing the rebellion of Eli's sons. Eli is the priest, but his sons turned out, to, well, they run with the wrong crowd. They did horrible, terrible, sinful things. And Samuel is observing all of this. Now, the reason I mention this is because we oftentimes learn not only from the success of people, but we learn from their failures also. We look and see them doing things that shouldn't be done, and we see the end result of it. And he has the privilege, if you want to call it that, of watching this tragic thing unfold. And then, I'll mention this and we'll get to the message itself. He had a clear sense of direction concerning what God wanted him to do. You know, when all is said and done, that's what it gets down to. So with that in mind, in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious. That means it was rare in those days. There was no open vision, and it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. And then the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran. I've underlined those words in my Bible. He ran. He thinks God is speaking to him, and your the Eli is speaking to him, and he runs. He didn't say, "Oh man, I'm not getting up now. I don't care what he wants. I'm not getting up." He ran unto Eli and said, "Here am I, for thou callest me." And he said, "I I call not. Lie down again." And he went and lay down again. And the Lord, and the Lord noticed, called yet again Samuel, and Samuel arose. And went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he, you know, he might have thought the old man's talking in his sleep and calling me. That wasn't what it was. And he answered, I call not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came. And stood. I don't know what all is implied by that, but this is this has got to be the moment of his life. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. You know, regardless of all of the advantages or the disadvantages and all of the things that I just mentioned, and I mentioned all of that first, 
Because here he has all of these advantages and what have you, but it always gets down to this. That key phrase here in verse number 10 where he says, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Here's a young man that wanted to know God's will and was willing to follow it. And that was the key to his greatness. That, and by the way, that's the key to the greatness of any person. He wanted to know God's will. He was willing to do it. Now, I understand we don't or shouldn't expect God to speak to us in dreams and in visions, but we need to remember, as I've said so many times, that God does speak today. He speaks from the pages of His Holy Word, the Bible. That is the sword of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God, using the Word of God, communicates with us. And if we're going to find God's plan for our life, we must have this same submissive attitude when, that Samuel had when he said, Speak, for thy servant heareth. In other words, we need a desire to know the will of God. We need the disposition to do it. A desire. By the way, remember Paul said, For God worketh in you both to will and to do. That's desire, that's the disposition, and that is the enabling in doing the will of God. He works in you both to will and also to do that. Now, with all of that in mind, I'm going to ask three simple questions, and then we're going to talk about each one of those. Number one, are you familiar with what the Bible says? I don't know of anybody here that's not familiar, at least on the major issues, you know, the major doctrines. You realize that you're a sinful being, that you needed God's forgiveness, that Christ died on the cross. I mean, you know all that. You're familiar with that. Most of you are familiar with what God expects from us. That's question number one. Are you familiar with what the Bible says? Number two, do you have faith in what the Bible says? It's one thing to know what it says. It's another thing to have faith in it, to actually believe it. And number three, are you following what the Bible says? So let's focus on those three factors as we talk about listening to God. First of all, familiarity with the Bible. In other words, do you know what the Bible says? Are you aware of what God is saying? Do you know of any scripture, for example, that speaks to an issue in your life? Just let things run through your mind. All of the different issues in life. Do you know any scripture that addresses that? And by the way, and later on on Sunday mornings, I'm going to be preaching about spiritual warfare. That is more key than you can ever imagine. It's not enough whenever the devil comes at you to just quote some scripture and hope that gets rid of him. That's not going to get the job done. It'll be a specific scripture. And that's exactly what the Lord did when he was, when he was tempted of the devil. And he answered the devil's temptations with quotations from the word of God, but specific quotations of the word of God. Do you know, do you know of scriptures that speak to any issue that you might be facing uh, are you familiar with any command that you're not obeying? Because like it or not, the Bible's full of commandments. They're in there for our good. Are you familiar with any warning that you've been ignoring? 
Bible's full of warnings. When I think about warnings and I think about Samuel, I can't help but think about the sad, sad story of Saul and the warning that he received and how he ignored it and it ended up costing him everything. God puts those warnings in the Bible for a reason because he cares about us. Can you think of any warning that you've just been ignoring or, or can you think of any promise that you haven't accepted? You know, it's one thing to say, I know Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and the called according to his purpose. We all, all, all know that, but there's so many times we know what the promise says, but we don't really accept it. And therefore it provides no value for us if we don't accept what the promise is. Naturally, you cannot answer yes to all of those questions unless you're familiar with the Bible. Well, you say, well, I'm not. I guess I'm off the hook. No, no. That's no excuse because God has made the Bible available. In other words, you, you could if you would. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir and you're sitting there probably thinking, I look around and... Uh, my, these are all of our, uh, among our most faithful people here, but I can almost guarantee you that there, there are folks here that are not all that familiar with important things in the Word of God. And it's our duty to discover what the Bible says, whether it's a command, whether it's a promise, whether it's a warning or whatever it is. It's, it's our responsibility to find out what the Bible says, that we're familiar with it. And the sad thing is that most, of, most people, and I'm not talking about most people here, I'm talking about most people in general, most people don't have a clue as to what the Bible really says, and they're not interested in finding out. They haven't read it, and they don't plan on starting now. Another serious problem is that there are those who think they know what the Bible says, and they don't. They're like the two two men talking about religion and the one said to the other he'd been boasting about how religious he was and uh, he said I'll bet you ten dollars that you you can't quote the Lord's prayer and the man said uh, I'll take that bet he said now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep and the other man looked at him with amazement said, here's your $10. said, I really didn't think you knew it. <laughs> so there's a lot of folks like that. A lot of people that are ignorant of the Bible, but they're not going to admit it. Kind of maybe the oldest joke in Baptist history has to do with the Baptist preacher that got up one night and said, I'm going to preach tonight about liars. How many of you have read Matthew chapter 29? A bunch of them raised their hand up. He said, you're just the people I want to talk to tonight because there is no 29th chapter in the book of Matthew. You see, you know, as funny as that story might be, it's really a serious matter that so many people are not really familiar with what the Bible teaches by way of commands, warnings, promises, or, or anything else. The second question do you have faith in what the Bible says? 
So there's familiarity with the Bible, but then there has to be faith in the Bible. Do, do you believe what God says? Have you accepted the Bible as the infallible Word of God, the absolute truth? Now, I'm not talking about a certain verse of Scripture that's kind of your, you know, that's, that, that's just your, your favorite. You hang your hat on that every time there's a problem in your life and it's a certain promise that you cling to. I, I, I don't mean that. I mean every word of every part of the Bible. Because if you don't trust God's word, you're not going to obey God's will. If we, if we don't have faith enough to believe that God said it, I believe it, and that settles it, you know, if, if that's not the case, our attitude ought to be God said it and that settles it. You know, whether we believe it or not, that's the truth. And, and there's an abundance of evidence proving the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, I don't see uh, Jay here tonight. Jason was telling me that uh, Reagan said the other day, and as you, you know, if you know anything about Jason and Dustin and Mike and Ethan and those guys. I, I, aren't you so proud of those guys of the Timothy team, the writing? Ryan, did you read that thoughts from the Timothy team this morning in the bulletin? I, I'm, I, I don't even know what to say, how thrilled I am at these guys. But Jason, he's, he is so focused on creation and not just creation, but uh, but the, uh, the the facts, the archaeological facts, and what have you. So Reagan said, uh, "Daddy, I want, this might not be the exact words. Daddy, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I, I want to be a uh, I want to be a, a, a science uh, teacher uh, about the Bible, like you are." Because she knows that he's always looking for this information, this evidence. And look, it's everywhere, the proof. I, I, think about all of the prophecies that have been fulfilled. And every time the archaeological explorations go out here and they begin their digs. And wow, look at that. I guess the Bible's true. One time they said, well, the world is flat. I had a dear friend. Dear friend, Christian man, and uh, on visitation, never missed a service. He believed that the world was flat. He was just convinced. And yet the Bible is very clear about the circle of the earth. The Bible even talks about the circuits of the wind. and It goes on and on and on. How can anyone... Any intelligent person just sit back and say, well, you know, I just, I can't believe all that stuff in the Bible. Have you ever really investigated the Bible? Because there's an abundance of evidence that is true and reasonable people are going to look at that evidence and come to the conclusion that I can place my faith in what God says. Even when I don't understand it. I mean, who understands Romans 8.28? How can it be? All things, the bad things, all of the worst things we imagine. God said, wait a minute, I can use that to work together for good. We can't explain something like that. 
But I tell you, we can sure believe God and put our faith in what God says. By the way, if we, if we reject what the Bible says, if we don't have any faith in what the Bible says, what standard are we going to live by? It leaves us without any absolute truth. One person's idea is just as good as another. So here we have a society, no rules. I mean, if you want to do it, you do it. That's your business. That's like you hear so often today. That's my personal truth. What does that mean? Well, everybody has their own truth. There's, look, there's only one truth. Two plus two is four. I don't care what you do, you can't change it. Oh, Abe Lincoln used to say, you can call the dog's tail a, a leg, but he still has just four legs. No matter what you call it, you know, if it's true, it's true. And, and Samuel was a man who had faith in whatever God said. And I know we'd all say, well, I, I, I believe the Bible. I really do, preacher. That brings us to the third question that I asked. It had to do with, are you following what the Bible says? In other words, do we obey what we claim that we believe the Bible says? A lot of folks will brag about their knowledge of the Bible. They they can quote verse after verse after verse, but they don't obey what it says. Well, you know, they'll say, well, I know what the Bible says. I know that that's what I ought to do. I know that. Well, why don't we ask God to help us do it then? In fact, if there's any real evidence that we're saved, that it's going to show forth in our willingness to obey what we claim that we believe. Now listen very carefully. It might surprise you, but people are worse off than those. I'm talking about people that do not obey what they know the Bible says. They, in some ways, are worse off than the person who doesn't even know. Because when you begin to read the Word of God, God speaks to you through His Word and you know what it says, and you claim that you believe it, but you don't do it, you would have been better off not knowing that. Luke chapter 12 and verse 48 says, For, un, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And whenever Peter was speaking about the apostates, he said in 2 Peter 2 verse 21, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Because the moment that we know what it says and we claim that we believe it, all of a sudden the stakes are higher then. For unsaved people, for example, there are different degrees of punishment in, in hell. The book of Revelation says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. They're going, to, they're going to retain those desires that they had here on earth. And think about, think about for all of eternity, suffering the consequences of having rejected the Word of God. I wish I had time to go into detail and read all of the story here about Samuel. And I'd have to wait till some other day. But before I go on, I want to remind you, 
And here was a man that had to deal with many difficult things. We've been talking about his greatness and the things that contributed to that. But that doesn't, doesn't mean that life was easy. It was difficult. And it reminds us that doing the will of God is not easy. And that's why the Lord was upfront and honest with his followers. I mean, from the get-go, he said, if you're going to be my disciple, what? You have to forsake all else and follow me. That, that's going to be the cost. There's no cut-rate deals, no bargain basement sales, no, nothing like that. You're either all in or you're either with me or you're against me, he said. And whenever I look at the whole of his life here, I see things about his character that give us valuable lessons. I think about the fact that he was committed at an early age. I mean, not only did he have the privilege of a godly mother and the privilege of being raised there by Eli and there in the tabernacle, but he himself was committed at an early age. I know it doesn't give us the exact age that all of this transpired, but as a young person, uh, a lot of people got the idea that, you know, kids will be kids. Let them, let them, let them play. Let them have fun. They, they don't need to be getting serious about all this stuff like you preached on this morning. No, they need to get serious about it. They, they, they need to make their commitment to follow the Lord as early as they possibly can. You know, a lot of folks say, well, you know, whenever I get older, I'm going, I'm going to do like Dad or like Mom. I, I'll get serious about church then. Let me tell you, now's the time to get serious about it. And he was committed at an early age. Not only that, he was confident of God's plan. He said, speak, Lord, I'm, you know, I'm listening, I hear. I, I, I want to know what you have to say. I, I want to know what you want me to do. He had confidence in God's plan. I, I remember two or three years ago or something preaching a message, and the title of it, I think, was, Do You Trust God's Plan? Do you trust God's plan? Because God has a plan It just all through the Bible we find over and over and over. God has a plan for each and every one of us. And the question is, do you trust God's plan? Back whenever I was preaching a lot of revival meetings and conferences and what have you, there was a practice back then, you know, more than 50 years ago, that whenever there was a special speaker, people want you to sign their Bible. And I can't tell you how many Bibles that I've signed. There'd be usually teenagers and people at the end of the service, and they was coming out, would you sign my Bible? I'd be glad to. When I did, I always put down Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. That's where we get in trouble, isn't it? In all of thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Samuel was a man that was willing to trust in the Lord and to believe that God was going to direct his path through life. And that's the attitude that we ought to have about whatever God says, that we need that kind of confidence in God. But listen, there's another factor in this, not only his commitment and his confidence, but also his courage. Think about this, that he delivered the message from God to Eli. Now remember this, Eli is the fellow that has basically raised him. 
there. And Eli is the man in charge of the whole show. He's the one with all the authority. He is the priest. And Samuel was the one who delivered the news to Eli. Do you know what your boys are doing? You know what your sons are doing? You know, it, it's difficult enough to, to stand up even with the Word of God and condemn sin, but whenever you face someone, someone in authority like that and tell them, do you know? Look, he, this wasn't a matter of gossip. This was coming out of a heart of love, someone that had the welfare of the nation and the welfare of the family in his mind. And Samuel spoke to Eli about that. It takes courage to do the will of God. Then whenever the children of Israel demanded a king, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. Give us a king. Samuel said, that's not a good idea. said, I don't care. We want a king. Samuel prayed. Took courage to resist them whenever he said, no, you don't need a king. You don't need a king. You've got a king. That's the Lord. Took courage to stand up and express his displeasure with their desires. But then he prayed about the matter, and the Lord said, okay, give them what they want. You know, I preached a message about thank God for unanswered prayers. I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I've prayed for some things that uh, I'm glad to look back later, and I'm glad God didn't answer that prayer. He's a whole lot smarter than we are, and it's a whole lot better, a whole lot better to pray like the Lord said, Thy will be done. It's hard to pray that, that way sometimes, especially when it's a loved one. It's a loved one that's just tottering on the brink of death, maybe. Maybe the doctors have given up and you don't know what to think. You don't want them to die, someone that you love. And you finally reach that point, you have to say, Not my will, but thine be done. Oh, we never get anywhere in life without, without taking these matters to God in prayer. Here's another factor, and that's the fact that he was compassionate. Look over in chapter 15, for example, in verse number 35. Now remember that he has denounced the actions of Saul because Saul disobeyed. He brought God's wrath upon himself. But here in chapter 15, verse 35, I believe it is, and Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned. He mourned for him. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. I'm not going to try to explain that. doesn't mean that God repents like man, by the way. But this is amazing to me. Samuel could have said to the people, and look, you bunch of idiots, I told you this wasn't a good idea. 
When Saul died, he could, he could have had the attitude, well, it's no big loss. Finally get rid of that jerk. He never had that attitude at all. He was a man that was full of compassion. He cared for other people. What a lesson there is in that for all of us, that we have to learn to love people unconditionally like God loves us. Because none of us deserve it, do we? We don't deserve what God's given us. We didn't earn our way with God. It's all because of His grace. Oh, I know what's easy to look at the sinfulness of, of people today and just kind of mark them off of our list. I don't think Samuel was made of that kind of stuff. He had compassion on people. Another thing that I even hesitate to mention because it gets really personal, and that's the fact that he was consistent. Remember Eli's sons? They went haywire, died as a result of it. Then we read about Samuel's own sons that had been appointed to a position of leadership, and they went down the wrong road. Wait a minute, we're talking about the, the children of Samuel, that great man of God. They have the privilege of having Samuel as their daddy and his good example, and, and yet they went wrong. I know it's real easy for people to sit back and quote, you know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I've heard preachers get up and talk about it. That's a promise from God in the first place. That's a proverb, and a proverb is a possibility. It's not necessarily a promise. And I say this because this is so personal to me because I remember a time in my life where I was, Spoke to a dear preacher friend of mine, Brother Charles Thomas, been in heaven now for several years. And I told him, I said, I think I'm just, I think, I think I'm going to have to just resign from being a pastor. He said, don't dare do that. He was older than I was. I respected him and I listened to him. I didn't base everything on that. Let me tell you, I don't care what you do, how hard you try, you cannot control forever what your children do. Because believe me when I say, whenever they make up their mind they don't want to be there under your thumb, they can leave anytime they want to and you can't stop them. Oh, you can call the cops. The cops can go get them and bring them back. I'm telling you, this, there was consistency in Samuel's life because of the fact that now here he is seeing his own sons falling by the wayside. You know, he could have said, well, kids will be kids. But he, 
He was as much against that as he was against Eli's sons when they were wrong. Wrong is wrong. Now let me sum all of this up and just try to make it personal to each of us, me, you, and everyone else. What's God saying to you? Is there some sin in your life? Uh, Maybe somebody's saying, how dare you even imply that there might be some sin in my life? Well, because I've never met anybody that didn't have some sin in their life. And if you think you don't, you've got a serious problem. But is there some particular sin that God's been dealing with you about? I'm not going to start just naming a list of sins, but you need to think about that. It might be the sin of, uh, of an act some action that this just wasn't right, what you did. It might be a sin in regards to your attitude. Oh, me. That's, that's really a tough area for some, some of us, the attitude. It might be an absence, something you ought to be doing that you're not doing, and God's been speaking to you about that. Is there some service that God's demanding from you? It might be that you've made a profession of faith. You've never followed the Lord in baptism. It might be God's dealing with you about your church membership and where it ought to be. Or it might be your involvement in, in some ministry in the church. And the list could go on and on and on. But the question is, the bottom line is, what are you going to do about God's will? I mean, you're familiar with the Bible. You have faith in in the Bible, and in a lot of ways you're following the Bible, but in one of these particular three areas that I just mentioned, an action, an attitude, or an absence, in one of those areas there's something going on in your life. The question is, what are you going to do about it? You know, one option is explain it away. I think Adam was doing that, don't you, whenever... Whenever Adam said to the Lord, the woman thou gavest me, it's her fault. She did it. I wouldn't have done what I did if it hadn't been for her. So explain it away or maybe just excuse yourself or blame somebody else. What Adam did, put it off. Oh, me. Well, that, that gets a lot of us, don't it? I, know, I believe what the Bible says. I know what it says. I know what God wants me to do. I know I ought to do it. God even gave me an opportunity, and I'm going to do that later. I really do hope my wife is watching the service, but I hope she misses that part of it. Put it off. Those are words she does not like to hear. Well, I'll do it tomorrow. No. But we do that with God so many times. So the choice is ours. We can, you know, we can excuse it. We can blame it on somebody else or, or we can obey what God says. Let, let me just read here in chapter 15. This is the warning that Samuel gave. And I, I want to leave it with you tonight as you think about doing what God says Verse 22, and Samuel said, 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Question mark. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Now get this, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as, as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Saul lost everything because when it come down to that decision as to whether he was going to obey God or not, he took the wrong route. Oh, he had an excuse. You know, God told him to go in there and to wipe out everybody. Send the army in there, get rid of all of them. Here they come back, Saul strutting his stuff. Samuel asked him, did you do what God told you? Oh, yeah, yeah, we did that, yeah, we did that. Got her done. Oh, Samuel said, what's the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen? Where'd those those cattle come from? Oh, that. Well, the people thought it'd be good if we'd just spare them and bring them back and we'll sacrifice them to God. No, that's not what God told them to do. Oh, by the way, you brought the king back? I'm I'm thinking Saul was probably thinking, boy, this is political leverage here. We'll just spare the king. It wasn't what God told him to do. And that's whenever Samuel said, look, that those offerings, that doesn't that doesn't uh, impress God. God expects you to obey him and the very fact that he did those things and we look back and we think, well, what is a big deal about keeping a bunch of cows and what have you and, and sparing the king? Seems to me like that'd be kind of a kind thing to do, not kill him. But that's not what God said to do. God was clear about what he wanted Saul understood it he just didn't do it and we put ourselves in grave danger when we're familiar with the Bible and we say we have faith in the Bible and then we don't follow what the Bible says doesn't sound very wise does it it's beyond being unwise remember what he said It's like witchcraft. You're setting yourself up as the determining factor in these issues. You're acting like you're God and I'm not. It's the way the Lord's looking at it. It's like idolatry, witchcraft. And I just want to challenge each and every one here tonight when we talk about hearing God that we need to really listen and listen with the intent that Lord, speak, because I'm listening. Just, Lord, show me, help me to see and understand what you want me to do in life. 
and I'm willing to do it. Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me, I'll go. He was ready. That ought to be the attitude of all of us. Thank God for those who have that attitude. Aren't you glad? They're the kind of people that, well, they're the kind of people that, uh, that God can use to do great things. But look, you don't have to be 21 to get serious about serving God. There might be some teenager here tonight. You know, you could be the spark that starts a revival among our teenagers. You could. I'm not talking about you trying to show off your spirituality. I'm talking about you getting so serious about spiritual things that nobody can mistake it. They see it. And sometimes, it, like the old song, just takes a little spark to get a fire going. Let God use you as that spark. Let's all stand together, Brother David or Nolan or someone's going to come and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. I don't know what God might be saying to you. It might be you haven't read your Bible and other than church. You haven't read your Bible maybe in two or three weeks. You haven't even searched for what God might be want, wanting to say to you. And you just want to maybe tonight right where you are, Lord, I'm going to commit tonight that I want to have conversation with you every day. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible because I want to know what you want from me. While we sing. Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling calling for you and for me see on the portals he's waiting and watching watching for you and for me